12th chapter of Hebrews. And tonight we begin at verse number 12, where we left off last week. And I have kind of an ambitious uh, task ahead of me tonight, it seems anyway, although I don't, I don't think it's going to be a problem, but I, I intend to uh, finish the chapter, so uh, hopefully we can do that. And I have six points, and that's, that, that, that's why I say it seems kind of daunting uh, to me, but for some reason I believe we can do it. So uh, let's read our text, and then we'll get started. We're going to begin to read at verse 12 of chapter 12, the book of Hebrews. It says, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down in the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, and let it, ra- um, let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men, and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, uh, though he sought it carefully with tears. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burneth, uh, burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of, of words which voice they, they that heard entreated that they would not or that they should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it should be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and unto an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that ye refuse him not that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying that once more I will shake not only or not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word ye once more signified, <clears throat> this word yet once more signified, the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, 
We receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for God is a consuming fire. Let's take a moment to pray and ask for the Lord's help. Our Father, as we consider this scripture tonight, um, there is a lot here, and I'm sure, Father, that in our time we won't be able to adequately uh, expound all of it, but I ask that you would help what we can take in tonight to really sink into our ears and in our hearts, and and Lord would help us in our Christian walk, and I know that's the intention, Father, is that we would run the race, that we would finish well, and, and this instruction is so important for that, and so I pray that you would grant uh, your blessing upon the message and that you would use it for your glory in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, <clears throat> there is a lot, as I say, um, to cover. And we're going to have to go quickly. We're going to have to kind of be brief on some things. But I, I think we can get really the meat of what we see here. And, and to understand that meat, we sort of have to... Um, kind of, again, put our mind in the context of what we've been studying. And so, uh, as you know, of course, we, we've been studying through this book, and after many chapters that have kind of been doctrinal teaching about how Christ is superior, Christ is the fulfillment, and um, to all of those things, and this being written to the Hebrews, uh, they, of course grew up in the Old Testament uh, kind of worship style of the temple and the sacrifices and all those things. And so uh, he's, he's gone through great lengths to say that, you know, Jesus has now come, he's fulfilled those things, and you no longer have to hold on to them, but, but all that you need is in Christ. And um, that's, that's where we've made our way all the way up to chapter 10, and then uh, chapter 11 we saw that you know he gives us those examples of faith, all the faith chapter, and uh, how they walk by faith, and that salvation is by grace through faith. Uh, when we place faith in Christ and what he did for us on the cross, that that is what brings forgiveness of sins. Not, not things that we can do that make up for, we can't make up for our sins, our sin has to be cleansed. It has to be dealt with. And Christ dealt with it. He took the penalty, the payment of sin on the cross. And by faith we are saved. And we've seen all those things and, and how we're to walk by faith. And so when we get to chapter 12, the, basically after all of that instruction, all of those uh, examples, now he says at the beginning of the chapter, we're to run the race. We're to, you know, uh, put it all into practice, basically. Now that you understand, now that we know these things, uh, it's, it's time for us to be busy living out the Christian life. Because although we're saved by faith without works, um, we are saved unto good works, as we see. Uh, there, there's a whole, uh, a whole lot of... <clears throat> race that's before us to fulfill the will of God for our lives and to press toward that mark of becoming like Christ. And 
So that was the first part of chapter 12. Then we talked about how the Father disciplines the children that He loves. He disciplines us to help us in that race, to help advance us down the track. And, you know, without His... Without, it's, in some ways, I think of it like, if you think of the race analogy, uh, he's kind of like a, uh, maybe like a hard coach, you know, that kind of pushes you on, eggs you forward in the race. And God does that with his discipline, his chastening, his training that he puts us through. <coughs> and, um, and now, as we get to where we are tonight, this sort of, I, I actually titled the message, What Running Looks Like. Because, you know, we're to run the race and we, we have all this help and all these examples, but really what does that race look like? What is it that we are striving for? I mean, in a very practical sense. We, we know what the goal is, we know where the finish line is, but on a day-to-day, where, where does the track lead? You know, what is... What's the, we need some map, we need some kind of um, direction on the track. And, and so I think that's what we find in these final verses of chapter 12. And I put down, uh, as I say, six thoughts just to kind of work our way down through each, each section here. The first one is what I, I'll just call it, and these are not alliterated, they're not fancy, they're just simply some things to kind of maybe jot down and think about. But first of all, he tells us to be strong and to stay straight, if you will, in verse 12 and 13. He says, you know, in the case of being strong, he says in verse 12, to lift up the hands which hang down in the feeble knees. Um, you know, he's, he's encouraging you there to uh, not, not get discouraged. The, the hands that hang down, it's, you know, the picture there is, is one that is... Um, Sort of, uh, you know, if you're running a race, you've you got to keep not only your legs moving, you've got to keep your arms moving, right? I don't know if you really think about that. It seems to almost be natural to do that. But, but really, your arms are very important when you're running. I don't know if you ever thought about it. I remember, um, I think I've told this perhaps one of, you know, maybe another time, but um, when I was in the military as a young man, uh, we, in basic training, there's a lot of marching. I don't honestly know why we have to march so much. Because honestly, when you're, when you're out doing your... After you get out of basic training, there's no more marching. You know, it's just, it was, you just got to march. But when we were learning to march, you know, you got to kind of stay in step and all of that. Um, they actually kind of told you how to hold your hands and, and how to move them, you know, with your legs. And because it's so natural, you don't think about it. But as soon as you start thinking about it, then it becomes kind of awkward, you know. And I remember this one kid, he was thinking about it way too hard. He was overthinking it. And he started marching like this. You know, his hand was going really, um, I think it was actually with his, it was, just, it was just totally backwards. Anyway, and the sergeant looked at him and he, he said, what are you doing? You know, what is wrong with you? And he yelled at him, which that's what they do in basic training. They just want to yell at you. But anyway... <clears throat> If I think if he, they would have said, you know, don't even think about it, just walk, he'd have been fine. But anyway, um, but when he talks about those hands that hang down, that's the posture of discouragement. The knees that are feeble, you know, that's, that's faltering in the race. And one of the things the devil, I think, likes to use against us is discouragement. 
You know, when we get, like this morning, we talked about courage. That was the message this morning, was on courage. And, you know, I said a lot of times there's, when you, um, when you think about the message of courage, uh, I, I didn't want it to be a pep talk, but we looked at the scripture and see what kind of encouragement we could gather and, you know, to, to uh, bolster our, our boldness from the scriptures. But a lot of people do give these pep talks that kind of, you know, you get you all fired up, right? A lot of locker rooms, like we watched a little bit of NFL football today, and, you know, they go into the halftime locker room, and I'm sure there's all kinds of really, you know, pumped up emotional uh, speeches that go on in those locker rooms and stuff like that. Uh, but this is, this is not a, a pep talk. Um, but we do need, again, we need to have that courage because the devil likes to discourage us. And so I guess what I, I ferment there, my train of thought, I'm like, did I, where was I even going with that? Now I remember. Um, what I was thinking about is, you know, sometimes we, we talk about running the race. And we do get all kind of, you know, we hype ourselves up. Good, that's good. Let's get out there and run the race, you know, for God. Let's look unto Jesus. Let's run this race. And we, we walk out the door and we're all fired up to do it. But it always seems like it's not very long and, man, something just throws you off. Something hits you in the face. Something just slows you down and it discourages you. Isn't that true? Like, we'll have our missions conference. And, you know, we get excited about missions. And we, we, we're, you know, we kind of, what we do in the missions conference for our, our visitors, we pray about it, we think about it, we're, we're considering missions we want to give. Last year I announced this morning that um, on the Treasury report, uh, from January until the end of October, we were able, and I know sometimes when I read this, a lot of people are like, whoa, really? Um, because we're not a big church. But it's amazing what God can do when you just you know, do your part. But anyway, we were able to give over $33,000 to missions since January. And I, I thank the Lord for that, you know. But sometimes it's been true where you hear about missions and you get this excited for missions and all that's going to happen and you make a commitment and so on and then you get out there and a few weeks down the road all of a sudden things aren't going well and maybe financially you have some problems and you go, oh man, did I, did I get too excited? I, I shouldn't even tell this because um, I didn't tell my wife this. I'm going to get myself in trouble. Um, sometimes I... I, I was on Facebook. I don't know why we go on Facebook now. I didn't ever used to do this, but we started this Facebook thing. So I was on Facebook, and then I learned about Marketplace. And they sell stuff on Facebook. I know. And, I was, and all of a sudden, I saw these skis. No, I didn't buy skis. But I saw these skis. And I wrote the guy, and I said, hey, are these still available? And uh, I got excited because they were the kind of skis I've always wanted, right? And uh, he wrote me back, and he was trying to sell them to me. And then I finally, I, I stopped myself. I said, what are you doing? I already have a pair of skis. I don't need new skis. This is... So I wrote him back, and I said, you know what? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not interested anymore. Forget about it. And uh, I said, he, he, he was kind, you know. He said, okay. And I said, I just got, I saw him, and I got all excited. <laughs> but now I've kind of let, got my head leveled out, and, and I pulled the plug and didn't buy him. But, you know, we get excited. We get excited about, um, and I never had to tell my wife because I didn't buy it. Uh, we get excited about these things. And, you know, we get excited about the things of God. 
But the devil just knows how to discourage you. He knows how to trip you up. I, I read this little illustration about a boxer. I never heard of him, but a guy named James Tillis was from Oklahoma, and uh, he was a heavyweight boxer. He went to Chicago, got off the train or the bus with two suitcases in his hand, and he walked up to the Sears Tower in Chicago. He set his suitcases on the ground. He looked up, and he said, I'm going to conquer Chicago. And he looked down, and his suitcases were gone. <laughs> and, you know, it's that quick how we can get discouraged. And so he says to, to strengthen those hands, pick them up and uh, encourage yourself in the Lord. So that's, that's verse 12. Uh, Lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. And then verse 13, we not only need to encourage ourselves to uh, you know, be kind of level-headed, but we need to be level-footed. He says, make straight paths for your feet. Make straight paths for your feet. Um, you know, we're to walk the straight and narrow. We've got to stay the course. This, when you're thinking about the race, you know, we, we sprint out of the block and we're taken off, and sometimes we've got to learn to pace ourselves. You know, we got excited, but we've got to kind of pace ourselves a little bit and stay in this. This thing's a marathon, and uh, it's, not a, it's not a flash in the pan. It requires a persistence, a steady persistence. But we need to, um, to keep our keep ourselves on the path, on the straight and narrow. The Bible tells us to walk circumspectly. Um, uh, there's another, I, I didn't, I skipped over a reference because I, for sake of time, you can write this down. Um, Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 3, as I think what the writer had in mind when he wrote, wrote verse 12. Because if you look that up, Isaiah, maybe we can do it really fast. Let me show it to you. Isaiah 35, and verse 3 says this, Strengthen the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Doesn't that sound pretty much like what he says in Hebrews? Strengthen the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. So, verse 12 kind of harkens back to that verse in Isaiah. Verse 13 reminds me of a verse in Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 2, um, he's talking about, oh, that's because my page turned. He's talking about, not chapter 2, let me find my place again. Chapter 4, I'll read it for you, I printed this one out. He says, let thine eyes look right on, and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand, nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. So, this is what the race looks like. On the day-to-day, as we run this race, what are we to be doing? Where does this race take us? Well, first of all, we've got to be able to push through the discouraging times. Because they're going to come. They're going to be there. And they come all the time. And then we have to make sure we look straight ahead. We keep our eyes on Jesus. We don't get distracted. And we don't get uh, off course into the wrong areas that God would not want us to turn into. And then it says, lest the lame be turned out of the way. 
Um, and you can think about that phrase. I, I thought about how, you remember when um, Elijah had them on Mount Carmel? And he said, how long halt ye between two opinions? And sometimes, one thing I, I, I don't know if I, I think it's a little later on in this, but these things are for us as individuals. But I get the idea that he's talking here to, uh, to a group. He's talking to the whole group. Because he says, you know, for example, lift up the, the hands which are feeble. And, and when you think about that phrase, it's not only your own hands. He didn't say lift up your hands that are feeble, but the hands. Meaning, there may be other people in the room, other people in the congregation, that maybe they're discouraged, right? And so we've got to think about others too. We can come along and, you know, when you see somebody who's lagging behind or somebody just because they're, you know, you can see they're, they're down. You know, when we come in, we always say, hi, how are you doing? And, and they're going to say what we always say. No, oh, I'm doing well. I'm doing fine. You know, I'm good. Whatever the, but, but nobody says, man, I'm really discouraged today. You know, we don't say that. Even though uh, they look at you and they go, yeah, you say you're doing well. But I think there's something else going on, right? And sometimes you don't show it. Sometimes you put on the smile and nobody knows it. But if you see somebody whose their hands are hanging down, they're discouraged, we're, we can come along and strengthen them. So in this whole idea of uh, those that get turned out of the way, in that group, you know, um, there's going to be some that, some even in the congregation that maybe maybe they're not saved yet. Maybe they're just coming and listening and so on. And, and we want to encourage them and make straight paths and, and try to keep them going in the right direction because uh, we don't want them to get turned out of the way. All right, let's move on. Number two. So first of all was uh, stay strong and stay straight. Secondly, pursue harmony and holiness. Look at verse 14. He says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. So we're to follow peace with all men. That's easily said. Not always, easily, not always as easily done, right? Um, I've, I found another parallel scripture in the Old Testament in Psalms. Uh, 34 verse 14 says, Depart from evil and do good and seek peace and pursue it. You know, we, we should be as believers, we are to be peacemakers. And, you know, we don't always like have the world around us acting very peaceful toward us sometimes, you know. Um, they, and I don't just say they, but even sometimes people in our own, even our own family members. Um, I remember the scripture that says, uh, I, how does it say it exactly? It says something like, um, you know, when I was for peace, they were for war, you know. And, um, and we've all been there. But we're to try to be at peace. We're to try, you know, he says it this way. As much as lieth in you is, live peaceably among all men. So in other words, you, you've got to do as much as you can. Others may not allow peace to reign, 
they might constantly be stirring up strife, but we got to try the best we can to um, to follow after the ways of peace. Um, turn for a moment. I'll have you turn to this one. Hold your finger here. Go to Romans chapter 12. Because I really like what we find in Romans chapter 12 about this thought. Romans 12, find verse number 18. Here's where it says, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. And then he gives us a little more instruction. He says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. You've heard that, right? What is that saying to you? Well, it says simply that, you know, when you've all seen the bumper stickers or whatever that say, you know, I don't get mad, I get even, right? How many of you have ever seen those? I don't know if they print them anymore. But anyway, they used to be around when I was a kid. Um, but, you know, that was kind of the idea is that, you know, if you did something to me, I'll get back at you. And we're not to do that. I know sometimes we want to. We want to uh, lash back. We want to see something happen to them. We want to, you know, we want to, we want to kind of get even. But he says, don't do that. He says to give place to wrath. Where is the right place? Well, it's not your place. It's God's place. That means I give it over to God and I say, you know what? I'm not going to try to get back at them. I'm not going to go, you know, flesh for flesh, a pound for a pound or whatever. I'm just going to turn it over to God. I'll give it to God. I'll let God deal with that. And forgive, right? That's what we're to do. That's part of the race. As you run this race, you've got to learn to give that place of, you know, vengeance belongs to God. I don't have to take vengeance. I'll let God do that. And then it says this. Therefore, verse 20, Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, do what? Feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. Now here's a very interesting phrase. He says, For in so doing... Thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, that's an interesting scripture. What does it mean? Can I tell you something? I've never quite been convinced that I fully understand what that means. But I'll give you the best I can do, okay? When it says that it'll heap coals of fire on their head, you know, if you feed your enemy... When they're hungry, if you give them a drink, you're heaping coals of fire. Now, one interpretation of that is that, like, uh, you know, when the when God brings His vengeance on them, because you um, because you were nice, in other words, you weren't overcome with evil, you overcame evil with good, right? So, because you didn't lash back, but you fed the hungry enemy, you gave drink to the thirsty enemy. God will, in His vengeance, bring more wrath on them. That's one interpretation. And, honestly, um, 
I can see where you know you could you could make that interpretation that God when he, you know you're heaping coals of fire. There's another interpretation I've heard, and I I kind of lean more toward this one. Um, one one interpretation is that when you do that, the coals of fire is that heat of embarrassment. In other words, you know they'll be embarrassed because they you know when you when somebody is treating you wrong, and they know it. They know they're being mean. And you just come back with, with kindness. Eventually, they do become embarrassed. You know what I'm saying? They, they think, you know, here, here I dish out all this, and look, look, they're being nice to me. And, and they feel bad about it. The cold, that fire of, of uh, conviction that they, they feel... Uh, you know, I shouldn't have done that. I told you this morning, two things that haunt me from my childhood. One was when I was a coward, and I shouldn't have been. The other one was when I was cruel in a way that was just so nasty, cruel, that it. every time I think about it, I, it disgusts me. It does. It really does. It makes me ashamed of myself. And if I could turn the clock back and go back, I would relive those and change those two events. Anyway... So, where are we? So, um, first we're to be strengthened and straight. We're to be uh, pursuing harmony and holiness. You know, the second part of that verse back in Hebrews 12. Let's go back there. Because there's another part of this that's a little bit interesting to interpret. He says, um, where to go? Verse 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Now when it says with and holiness without which no one will see the Lord, um, I've often looked at that verse and said, well, you know, uh, it, it, we know it doesn't mean that we have to live holy lives in order to work our way, earn our way, trying to be good enough to get into heaven. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't teach because we can't be good enough. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's why I've said in the beginning, salvation is by grace through faith. So we're not going to get to heaven by our own goodness, our holiness. We, we should pursue holiness, but we could never chase it down and catch it. We can never, you know, what does the Bible say? That all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of God. But Jesus imputes His righteousness upon us. I hope you can understand that. I've got to be quickly, but when we trust Jesus, He took our sins on Him and died on the cross. When we receive Him as our Savior, we get His righteousness applied to us. And just like our sins were applied to Him, His righteousness is applied to us. Without the righteousness of Christ, none of us will be able to live in the presence of God. So it says, without uh, holiness, without which no man can see the Lord. But there's another thought there, too, and I kind of wonder if this isn't what he's saying. As that he's saying, you guys got to run the race, be peacemakers, and live holy, because without that, no one will see Christ in you. No one will see the, the Lord's in, through your life. Our life is to be a testimony 
and a witness of Christ. You know when he says, blessed are the peacemakers in our Beatitudes we were talking about? Do you know what it says right after that? It says, for they shall be called the children of God. And I've always thought about it. I thought, you know, I think what he means by that is if we're peacemakers, they will call us the children of God because we're like God. God is a God of peace. God, uh, you know, he's the prince of peace. And so in other words, you know, that being a children of God means that we're like our father. So what I'm trying to say is, if we live peaceably and we live holy lives, then others can see God through our lives. Do you understand that? We got, uh, others will be pointed, not, not that we're God or anything like that. We just say, look, why are you so peaceful? Why, are you, why do you live this kind of life? Because of Christ. Christ made the difference in my life. And I want you to know He can do that for you. He can do that for all of us. All right, so we've got to move. I know you're already clocking. You're saying he's taking 10 minutes per, and uh, we got too much to do. All right, so um, number three, promote grace, not bitterness. Verse 15, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Again, he seems to be addressing the group here. And he's, he's basically saying, he starts off by look, looking diligently. Look around diligently. And that word, the Greek word actually has an idea, of it's, it's kind of on the same root as the word bishop. Remember what the word bishop means? It means an overseer. He means, so basically he's saying, look over, see to it, that none fail of the grace of God. Now, if we think about that in the sense of like a, to us as a group, um, you know, when people come to our church, we don't automatically assume that they have been saved. And so we want to share the gospel, we want to check their testimony, we want to ask them about uh, their salvation. Why? Because we don't want any to fail to be saved, to fail to find the grace of God, right? Um, I, we were looking at missionary videos and lining up some videos for Saturday night. I was reminded of a video that we made, my family made, when we went one time on a furlough, and we showed this video at our churches. And what it was was pictures of this church, our church, and testimonies. And I don't know if you remember, but Corrine, you gave a testimony on that video, and so did Rob. And Rob, I hope you don't mind me uh, quoting you, but I looked at that video, and Rob said this. This was back in like 2008. He said, while we had been to other churches before, no one ever asked us about our, the state of our soul or about our salvation. You know, a lot of times people come into a church, and people just assume, well, they're a church, so they must be a Christian, right? When you first walked into church, were you a Christian when you first got there? Probably a lot of you know. Some of you perhaps, but I imagine you, know, you might have got saved at home and then went to church. But, you know, 
We need to watch out and look around. Not, not that we're trying to you know, say, oh, I don't think you're saved. We're not judging one another. But we are looking and seeing those that say, hey, brother, I just want to know. Tell me about your salvation. When did you get saved? Have you been saved? You know? Do you know for sure that you, you're going to go to heaven? Those are, those are things we need to uh, ask one another and, and think about because it's important. Lest any fail. Lest any get embittered. You know, the devil likes to sow seeds of bitterness. And they sometimes take root. And when, you know, you come along for a while, but you're failing to really get a hold of and understand the grace of God, and those seeds of bitterness can get in there, spring up, and take you out, and many are defiled. So promote grace and not bitterness. Number four. Reject immorality and godlessness. Look at verse 16. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. That's a heavy verse. Um, Sadly, in the world today, immorality is sort of exalted. I mean, in Hollywood and all this kind of stuff. But it's not to be tolerated in the church. It's not among God's people. He says, uh, you know, do these things, run this race, lift up your hands, set your path straight, follow peace, follow holiness, make sure you're walking with God, because lest there be any fornicator, lest there's some uh, immoral, sexual immoralness going on in the church, that's not to be tolerated. That's not part, you know, we're not to allow that to happen. You don't want to be like Esau. Why, why is he mentioned Esau here? Well, you remember Esau was Jacob's brother and he talks about uh, how Esau, uh, verse 17, you know how that afterward, well, no, first verse 16, what do you do? He, for one morsel of meat, sold his birthright. Do you remember the story? His brother Jacob had made some pottage, it's called it, some kind of soup. And Esau came home from hunting, and he was hungry. You know, a man comes back, he's been out in the field all day. He was hungry. And he asked Jacob, Jacob was kind of, his brother was, let's just say his brother wasn't real kind. He asked Jacob for a bowl of his soup, and Jacob said, I'll sell it to you. I'm not going to give it to you. I'll sell it to you for your birthright. Give me your, because Esau was the eldest. You give me your birthright, I'll give you some soup. Now, does that sound like a good deal? A bowl of soup for my birthright, really? What should Esau have said? Yeah, Jacob, get a life, no way. But that's not what he did. He said, what do I care about a birthright? Give me some soup, you know? And so, what's he saying there? <coughs> Esau is a, <coughs> a sad testimony of people who, in the heat of a moment, you know, the appetites of his flesh, he sells out something that is very dear just to get to satisfy that, that momentary hunger. Now, he's talking about fornication. He's talking about sexual immorality. Do you see the parallel? How many people have, in the heat of a moment, and just in a you know in a moment's time, because of an appetite, they sell out and for something, you know, they give up so much. 
They lose so much. I mean, you could, you know, you can think about it. People who have uh, been married, been have a good testimony. I, I know, you know, you hear about it. I hate to bring these up, but you hear about even pastors that have ministries and churches that are growing, and then in some heat of a moment, they fall into a sin, and man, they ruin it. They wreck the testimony. They ruin their family. They mar the church. And he's saying, don't do that. Don't be like Esau. Esau sought, uh, verse 17, he sought to get back what he lost, but he couldn't. And he was crying, you know, it says he, uh, when he had, would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, even though he sought it carefully with tears. You know, he was crying, I don't think because he really was repentant, he didn't, he couldn't find repentance, he was just upset that he lost his birthright. I was reading recently in Proverbs in my devotions. And listen to this carefully in Proverbs chapter 2. This is where I said earlier, chapter 2. He's talking about wisdom. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. In verse 16 it says, Wisdom was to deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger which flattereth with her words. When he talks about a strange woman, really that basically to any man, that means any woman but your wife. Uh, is, you know, to be strange to you in that sense. And it says, you know, wisdom will deliver you from that. Foolishness will take you there. Listen to this. It says, which forsaketh the guide of her youth and forgetteth the covenant of her God. For her house inclineth unto death and her paths unto the, to the dead. And this is the phrase that even grabbed my attention when I read it earlier this week. It says, none that go unto her return again. In other words, you know, it's like, don't go there. Everybody that goes there, they never get back. They can't get back what they lost. You fall into that sin, you're going to be marred for the rest of your life. You really will, you know. Yes, can you be forgiven? Yeah, you can be forgiven. You repent, you can, you know, you can be, but, but there's always going to be that black mark on your life. And so don't go there. Anyway, number five. So, we're going to skip a little bit forward now. Verses 18 through 22, he talks about there, you, you, don't, you didn't come to Mount Sinai, you know, where it quaked and where the law was given, all that, where an animal touches it, you know, they've got to be stoned or thrust through with a dart, all those things. He's saying that's the law. The Hebrews, they had already been there. They, they knew about all the law and, and legalism and so on. But he says, you, this isn't where we've come. We've come to Mount Zion. Um, in verse, where's that? Where it says Mount Zion? 22. 22. Thank you. You know, we've come to the new, the heavenly, the, the grace, the general assembly, the church of the firstborn. Um, so that, we're, we're just going to kind of skim over that part. But if you want to study that out more, you can. Um, but we as New Testament Christians, you know, we've come to Mount Zion where Christ, that's really Mount Zion is Jerusalem. 
And that's where the city where Jesus was put to death for us. And verse 24, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and the blood sprinkled that speaketh better things than Abel. So then verse 25, here's number 5, listen to God. I will give you this quickly. He says, see that ye refuse him not that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall we shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. How, what is that saying? Real quickly. If those who didn't, you know, those who heard the prophets didn't obey those that spoke on earth, they didn't obey Moses, they didn't obey the prophets, they didn't listen to them. If they, uh, because they wouldn't turn, you know, to God listening to the prophets, if they were, if they didn't escape God's judgment, how much more would we not escape if we don't listen to God who spoke from heaven through His Son, Jesus Christ? So we need to listen to God. All right, we're almost to the end. We're talking about running the race, right? Where does the track go? Strengthen your hands. Set your feet straight. Follow after peace and harmony. Reject immorality and godlessness. Listen to God. And then, number six, serve God acceptably. Verse 28. Wherefore we receive a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably. How do we do that? With reverence and godly fear. We have to, in this race that we're running, we do all these things. Why? Because we're serving God with reverence and godly fear. You know, that means like we have a, a respect, an awe of God. We stand in awe. We stand in reverence of the Lord. And with that godly fear, we serve Him acceptably. That's the only way we can serve Him acceptably. Not, not flippantly, not uh, superficially, not trivially, but with godly fear and reverence. That's how we're to serve the Lord acceptably. So, that's what running looks like. That's the track that we're on. As we are to run the race with patience, we know where the goal is. The goal is to become like Christ. The goal is to fulfill the will of God. Now, this is the path to get you there. All those six things. Okay? Let's stand and we'll have prayer together.